0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the New Books in Anthropology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Liliana Gill, a host on the channel, and today I have the pleasure to talk to Dr. Netris Gaskins, who is the author of the book, Techno-Vernacular Creativity and Innovation, Culturally Relevant Making Inside and Outside of the Classroom, published by MIT Press in 2021. Welcome to the show, Netris. I'm very happy to talk about your work.
1: Yes, thanks for having me. To get us
0: started, it would be great if you could tell us a bit about the book. This is not an ethnographic work in the traditional sense of the term, but it strikes me as the product of a lot of participant observation. How did you come to this project? What made you made you want to write this book?
1: It's, um, the book is actually my uh, PhD research. Um, many of the sort of fr- the frameworks and the some of the activities and projects mentioned in the book come from that research either during the doctoral process or its postdoctorate. Meaning I didn't actually do a postdoctorate, but post the doctoral process, like the year after, year two after. So it's an approach to steam learning, science, technology, engineering, art, and math that engages students from historically marginalized communities or as we say, underestimated and underrepresented communities and culturally relevant and inclusive maker education. And so this framework connects techn- technical literacy, equity and culture, capacitying different creative um, innovations produced by groups that are often overlooked. So I spent most of my time um, of the four years as a PhD student, um, three of those years are spent um, just collecting information about the engagements of these groups um, in terms of technology and some of the other STEAM um, disciplines to really come up with ways to develop um, educational activities from them.
0: And and as you were just explaining, the book offers offers many ideas for developing culturally relevant educational modules that can help the inclusion of underrepresented groups in science and technology. And in the book, you focus specifically on African-American indigenous and Latinx kids. Could you tell us a bit about these modules? If you could tell us a bit more of what these modules are, for instance, I'm particularly excited about your analysis of innovations in hip hop with the examples of ciphers and the work of Grandmaster Flash.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, These, you know, the idea of a cipher as being sort of this sort of circle. It's a place where kinship um, is fostered. It's a place of community as well as uh, creative expression. Um, That was an important part. And also, I found that this kind of circular place, space was found in not just in African-American communities, but around the world. So in India, it's called Rangoli, um, Okolam. And in many uh, Native American or indigenous groups have some sort of cipher as, or cosmograms specifically. Um, in Buddhism, there is cosmograms or mandalas. So the idea of the circle, this non-linear form is something that you find across many non-Western cultures. And I was really interested in seeing all the different ways that that was used, even when it's used as like a hoop, like in sacred hoop dancing in um, some indigenous um, communities. So I was really um, thinking about that, and I was still thinking about the idea of DJs that were, you know, you form a cipher, and then there would be either uh, break dancers in the middle with, you know, partic- uh, participants on the outside and audience, um, or it could be graffiti writers, or it could be um, MCs or rappers in the cipher, and then the DJ was kind of the person that brought it all together or provided the background music for the performances. So it became like this kind of community of creative expression. And I was really looking at the sort of practices that came out of that and how that could be applied to uh, in the classroom and also in other educational settings. Um, So that is very important to find those cross sections and also other types of things like quilts and things like that, that um, are helpful and apply that into um, what you might have to learn in class, uh, a math class or a computer science class and things like that.
0: Can you tell us a bit more about those workshops and how you applied this knowledge to the STEAM? Yeah,
1: yeah. We um, here at Leslie, um, we did. I wanted to celebrate the 50th uh, year of hip hop, so um, we I proposed doing a hip hop um STEAM workshop in the fall of this year, and it was looking at hands-on instruction and collaborative engagement. So they're the intersection of mathematical thinking, invention, creativity, culture, and identity. So a lot of the frameworks that came out of um, my TVC work um, were applied in this workshop. So there are three modes of of working, modes of production that I looked at in the book. One is uh, reappropriation, another is um, remixing, and then there's improvisation. And so we had three different strands in the workshop and they were based on grade level. So um, one of the, um, and then there's a poster that people could see. And so in one case, we were looking at um, rap music and then using um, text effects, which is from Google's using AI to understand how AI works, but also giving um, teachers the opportunity to use text effects to create their own lyrics, their own rhymes. And then of course they would take that to to the students and figure out how to explain how what they did, and then we also looked at computational thinking for younger students, like in kindergarten and first grade, and looking at Grandmaster Flash's Quick Mix Theory, which um, Flash was known to do, which is one of the things he did with turntables, which is um, kind of a, a computational and mathematical kind of process, and then them being, being able to use micro um, microcontrollers and things like Makey Makeys and um, Kibo robots to shift and remix the 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 block the code blocks to uh create um creative to make things and um using the microbit um to do some graffiti tagging well the tags would be these electronic um placards that they would put up and they would light up or do some other type of thing so it was really about how to apply some of the things from hip hop um culture into um, something that teachers could bring into their classrooms. And so that's one example. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, mm-hmm. And I was,
0: so you described many of these workshops you've been involved in, and I was wondering what happens after the workshops you describe. Uh, I was curious to know if you've been able to follow some of the kids that did these uh, workshops with you, whether these experiences have had a strong impact on them, and for you, what would be the ideal outcome of this, this type of work? What's the horizon? What's the goal here?
1: Well, the goal is to level the playing field. Um, you know, you know, time and time again, we look at statistics that show, um, and this is before the lockdown COVID-19 um, pandemic, we see there's underrepresentation in STEM, um, in STEAM, where we see a lot of representation for white students. And... A little, a little bit um, and maybe sometimes more representation for Asian students. Um, but when we get down to African-American um, and maybe next to that is Latinx. And then after that, it's indigenous with a very small number of um, of people represented in, in STEM fields. So um, my ideal is to have more representation in the STEM and STEAM and also more, um, what I'm hoping will be the broadening of those those disciplines in ways that engage communities that normally left out or excluded or overlooked, um, and and ways. So when we talk about engineering, we're not just talking about engineering from a Western standpoint, and sometimes we're not just talking about engineering from um, kind of a mainstream standpoint. We may just talk about Grandmaster Flash and what he did to, um, you know, create some of the things or invent some of the things that he invented and include that in the engineering curriculum um, and talk about how these rep- these, these uh, engagements with technology and science and engineering from underrepresented groups, although um, not in the classroom or not in the discourse on an academic level are really ways to, to engage students who normally wouldn't go into science or technology or engineering, um, so that's the ideal world. Is that those bridges are, um, those links, those gaps are bridged, and those uh, the playing field is leveled.
0: Mm-hmm. That that's excellent. And have you been able to see some of that happening with the kids you worked with? Um,
1: um I think you know when um I I talked about um in 2016. I was teaching advanced placement computer science principles um, in a high school for the visual performing arts. And all of those students, high school students had arts majors and which some of them like maybe two thirds of the class were taking computer science for the first time in their lives. And I think it was the first time that that school had a computer science course. And so this is a new for everybody all the way around but I wanted to make sure that throughout the year because this is a four day a week, year long course that they were seeing connections between what they did and things that they were interested in, from like they were arts majors in music or visual arts, and seeing a connection to computer science. And um, so I was looking at you know curriculum and helping teachers to understand that the goal was to keep them engaged. And what was really happening is um, they were doing that. They're blending the computer science into their cre- artistic practice. Um, when we got to data and information, a lot of the music students were composing to uh translate the data that they were looking at into a into a composition, a musical composition. Um, others were doing um, you know, 3D printed uh type of bar charts to represent the information that they were picking from you know data sets they were looking at. Um and they'll take that with them, you know, and they'll, you know, if that idea at the college level to do projects, they'll bring some of that knowledge with them into those projects. And there have been students who Um, who I mentored or had independent study with me, who um, are out in the world doing things in their own way that bring some of the things to happen in in the classroom with them. And so um, some of them I keep in um, contact with, and they stayed true to their art form. They're, you know, still musicians, but there's always, you know, this sort of knowledge that they're, they're, Kind of steam um in their approach to things and that comes from the engagement and the uh, work we do in the in the classroom or in the lab
0: thank you yeah and you're really promoting a lot of interdisciplinary thinking right you're providing the tools to to create interdisciplinary tea. um throughout the book there's an important critique of the maker movement i yep <laughs> Uh, about the maker movement, particularly uh, those it excludes, since it tends to be white and male dominated, I was wondering wondering if you've seen progress on this front. Are things getting any better?
1: Well, one thing um, that used to be, or you know, when Obama was uh, Barack Obama was in office, there was a Nation of Makers um, organization that um, came to be. And they invited um, from all states, different representatives to come to Washington to the White House and talk about the state of the nation in terms of making. And one of the points um, in my region, which was Northeast, we talked about um, how, or I talked about how some of these groups are already doing making and they're just not calling it that. So what has been defined by making is a particular culture and that that culture represents who created it. And that there are other types of making happening in communities that would probably fit fine in a makerspace, but they don't call it a makerspace. Um, one example of that is a film called Underwater Dreams, and it is about um, the sons at the time. I think now it's coed, but they're sons of undocumented immigrants from Mexico, um, largely, and or some South America, who um, in a high school robotics competition um, and, and a uh, college and high school robotics competition, they won and beat MIT um, with their underwater robot. And then when I went to a panel with one of those young men who um, won, he, they asked, well, why would you get into robotics? And he said, because he said hidden switches. And I realized he was talking about low rider car culture in his community. He saw engineering all the time in the garages where people were doing low rider cars. And because of that um, connection, maybe the um, teachers actually made those connections for the students, or they made them made those connections themselves, that that was how they made. And they don't call it makerspaces. They call it whatever they call it in the car culture, but it doesn't have to be a makerspace. And so I think makerspace is a particular type of thing. And I think that there are other examples of making that fit in that kind of general category of making but often are excluded or overlooked um even though they are those um what we would consider to be making
0: i completely agree yeah thank you so much Uh, to finish our conversation i had one more question now that the book is out there in the world are there any new projects you're excited about i've seen some of your powerful portrays using generative ai maybe you could tell us a bit about how your art about your current art and how it expands on your community and educational work.
1: Sure, and um, you know I mentioned in 2016 doing that, um, doing the uh, advanced placement computer science principles, and the very first one of the the unit seven of that curriculum that I had uh, approved through College Board um, dealt with generative AI in 2016. So I was, from a teacher's point of view, just trying to connect students to what was happening, what I thought what trends they were coming, I was kind of announcing, hey, you might want to look at AI to make art. And so Deep Dream generate um Deep Dream was the technology then and more specifically neuroimage dial transfer, which is what I started doing personally after that class was over. I just kept going and just kept using um uh, deep dream for a while until the next thing came up, and so it started in 2016, around one or two years after the invention of generative AI. Um, so I was really um, excited about that uh, something new was coming that might fit into something I could do creatively. And then, um, you know, a perfect example as it relates to community. Um, two, and two years ago, um, when the late Greg Tate died, I had done a portrait of him, and and you know. Uh, there's a whole story behind, you know, this whole a whole cyclical thing that's been happening. Um, I discovered Romer Bearden, artist, in the same year that I took my first computer graphics class in high school. Um, Romare Bearden had merged his love of Black life and jazz with abstraction and collage. Then I was listening to Public Enemy and noticing how the Bomb Squad production team made collages of sampled sounds. I was, and that led to remixing that you find in the book this idea of taking things, pre-existing things and recreating, kind of remixing them and combining them to make something new. And then in 1992, I graduated with a BFA in computer graphics from Pratt in Brooklyn, New York. And then I moved to Chicago and I bought Greg Tate's book, Flyboy in the Buttermilk Essays on Contemporary America. And then as a grad student, I was still into collage and then I moved to the computer. So instead of cutting and pasting paper, I was using software and computers. And then I was... um, you know, all that was happening around the same time in the early nineties. And then, um, I started building labs, um, computer graphics labs, cause I noticed that in the places where I taught art, they didn't have computers or didn't have computer art or computer graphics. So I was trying to bridge what was a digital divide. And, um, it all kind of came together at some point in that AP computer science class, where you had art students and computer science, and this emerging generative AI scene that was happening. And so um, I treat my generative AI making as a collage. It is a collage between concepts and prompts. It's a collage sometimes of actual output where I'll have uh, multiple outputs that I'll bring into Adobe Photoshop and collage or combine. So the layers kind of merge into other layers. It's just an extension of what I was doing in the early 1990s. So um, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I was creating and posting portraits, and some of them made it into the Smithsonian show titled Futures in 2021. Um, then Greg Tate passed away that same year. Um, I made his portrait and then the, you know, his family and friends reached out. The chief curator at the Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora and Arts or Mokata reached out to me and they were interested in the using the Greg Tate image. So they um, licensed it and hosted it on this wall as an oversized vinyl mural. And, um, and at the same wall where there's soon to be sculpture garden now is a sculpture garden is located. And um, it's been up there ever since. And so people don't even know, um, there is a placard there that has my name on it and, and description, but most people don't even see the placard. They just see the Greg Tate. And it's been, you know, different festivals around that mural. People go and do selfies. Um, his band, the Burnt Sugar Orchestra, had had a reunion in front of the mural, and I was there for that. Um, so there were these historic moments. It was at Lincoln Center with the band. It was um, on a the cover of a newspaper in South Africa where Greg had um, connections, and it was even in a New York Summer Stage event where people did a second line to in tribute to Greg Tate and walk and rode around with uh, the sign with the image uh, along with the second line um, second line band. So it's just. Uh, an example of how community became in, um, involved with something that was started on the computer and specifically started with AI.
0: That's so awesome. I wish we could show the images, but I, I leave everyone with these suggestions and they can look up further and read your book. And thank you so much, Beatrice. And, and the cover. The and cover the- is AI. It's one of my yes. first.
1: Yep. The cover yep. is one of my first generative AI portraits of one of my students.
0: Oh, one of your students. Do you want to tell us more about it? Because we're going yeah, to show it, it on the um, website.
1: I had a different cover. And um, the Leah Buckley, who wrote the forward to the book, she wrote about the AI art. And then the editor said, oh, I didn't know that part about you. And then I, when she saw some of the work, she thought, well, that has to be the cover. And so that's how that happened. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Natrice. This was a pleasure.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you. you.